If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. Where the story goes, we follow. Chris Smith on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Coming up this hour on the program, we get down under. Talk to two MPs, Mark Latham and also Upper House Eastern Victorian representative for the Liberal Party, Renee Heath. Both people are not prepared to sit back and allow things go the way they're going in both states, New South Wales and Victoria, and we'll speak with them very shortly on the program. Um, Former President Donald Trump, though, has started to drop names about who might be his running mate. And uh, the names are are quite interesting. Um, He was talking with um, Fox News's Maria Bartiromo in an interview aired on Sunday Morning Futures. And uh, he was asked about would he announce his running mate for his third White House bid. And he said, not for a while. And I don't think Maria thought she was going to get anything out of that. But then he continued, as Trump likes to do. I mean, we have so many great people in the Republican Party, he said, but not for a while. What criteria are you looking for, he said. And then he started to name names. He mentioned Tim Scott, the uh, also the South Dakota Governor Christy Nome, two who have been long seen as possible running mates for Donald Trump. Now, in terms of uh, Scott, he said um, he's been at several rallies with Scott, as you may have seen, and I think I've played some audio from the pair on the program. And he made the point, Trump, that to Scott, you are a much better candidate for me than you are for yourself. Um, And he cited him. He mentioned his name. So that's a distinct possibility. Um, the other person, as I say, is Noam, and she, he said this, Christy Noam has been incredible fighting for me. Uh, she said, I'd never run against him because I can't beat him. That was a very nice thing to say. So she said the right things, but she's very competent, as you may know, and she's doing things in her state that uh, make a great deal of sense and certainly come under a conservative banner. So uh, there you go. They're two names. Don't think about, you know, Vivek Ramaswamy or Ron DeSantis, certainly not Nikki Haley. They are off the table. Those two are on the table as of yesterday. Now, news out of San Francisco, as deep fakes of Taylor Swift proliferate on the internet. Now, have you seen some of these? Have you seen some of these? Uh, I'm telling you, you cannot tell that the person featured in the pictures and the images was not Taylor Swift. That is how good this technology is. Um, apparently, those on from Gartner, which is an internet company, say that they're only going to get worse supported by AI in the future. Now, it's okay if you're not a celebrity, but celebrities are going to be got at over and over again because they've got the cash, they've got the limelight, they've got the reputation, and they can be extorted. That's why they do it. Um, and when they they don't come to the party on extortion, these images go public anyway. So what chance do they have? And most people will look at these images and think, without reading the background or knowing the the the, the background of those images, they will say that they're real. 
But the same can apply in your neck of the woods, in your world. If you have an enemy in business, um, in some sector of society, the same thing can happen to you, whether you're famous or not. It is a real worry. Well, the tech sector analyst says that by 2026, attacks using AI-generated deep fakes on face biometrics will deeply impact organisations, trust in verification and authentication processes. The analyst says 30% of enterprises will no longer consider such processes to be reliable. Gartner says current standards and testing processes don't cover digital injection attacks using the AI-generated deep fakes that can be created today. Injection attacks increased 200% last year, Gartner says, meaning uh, CISOs must choose vendors with the capabilities that go beyond current standards. In other words, the technology, the counter to all of this is only just catching up and it's behind where the technology is up to. And we're going to be thinking about Taylor Swift as one of the first to be significantly impacted by deep fakes, but deep fakes are going to be part of our lives. That's the sad reality. And it's not just going to be celebrities. It'll be politicians, you name it. Got to take a, a quick pause. This is Chris Smith on TNT. Be a part of the conversation. I want representation I can trust. Have your say. Biden isn't doing enough. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I can tell you the man about to come on to our program today is not a fake. Uh, he is the real McCoy, the real deal. He is an MLC, that is the member for the Legislative Council in the New South Wales Parliament. He is an independent MP and his name is Mark Latham. Mark, welcome back to TNT. Thanks very much, Chris. Always good to be with you. Um, today's news poll, 62% in Australia say the PM did the right thing by breaking a promise, but only 38% say they'll now be better off. Two-party preferred is unchanged, 52 to 48. You would have thought if you're going to break a major promise, as the Prime Minister has done on tax, you'd get a little bit more, you know, a little bit more of a boost out of it. That's nothing. Well, it's unchanged, the news poll in the party numbers and basically the leader approval. Um, I'm always sceptical about uh, taking a lot out of a single opinion poll. It's always better to look to the trend. And John Howard used to say that news poll had a lag in it, that it took a while to actually pick up the true extent of public opinion. So I think we need to make a judgment, um, the news poll after this and the one after that, as to what's really going on. My, my own assessment is that Albanese's been burnt pretty badly for the broken promise. Uh, in that people are saying, well, you just can't trust this guy uh, for when he gives his word. So one news poll, um, don't read a lot into it. Uh, look at the trend about a month from now, and I think we'll see a different story. And the mere fact that at, at a press conference earlier today, or sorry, should I say an interview earlier today, and also an interview on Friday and Thursday, he has addressed the fact that people can trust him. And the more I see him say that you can trust him, my word's my word and people should stand by me because I'll stand by them, the more I hear that stuff, Mark, the more I realise he knows himself he is in deep caca. Yeah, of course he does. But, you know, Albanese is a long-time Labor Party factional operative. He's never had much interest in public policy. He was always doing the numbers for the left after he was elected in 1996. And... 
in my diaries I actually record something that the former leader Simon Crean said about him because Albanese badly betrayed Crean. Crean described him as a serial liar, which is pretty heavy criticism, but it's also something that's often said about these factional operatives. And, uh, yeah, I think that's the way he's operating right now. 5248, um, is Peter Dutton out of the race, do you think, to take government next year? No, not at all. I, I think you've got to look at a few more polls and get a better trend um, right through February and March um, to understand what's going on. But I think common sense would tell you that after the debacle of The Voice in 2023 and now this broken promise, uh, Dutton is well and truly in the race. You know, there are many characteristics of this Albanese government where you're thinking they can well and truly be a one-term government, especially in the context where they've got a very narrow majority in the House of Representatives. Um, Labor's primary vote is not high. And we've got this Dunkley by-election uh, in the outer suburbs of Melbourne coming up. That, that's the real-life poll that'll tell us a lot more, of course. Where do you think that will head? Because um, everyone seems to expect that Labor will take it. But given the bump that has occurred because of these Stage 3 tax cuts, that's not necessarily so assured, is it? No, it's one of those bellwether seats, uh, Dunkley. It was held by the Liberal Minister Bruce Bilson, Back in the day, the Howard years, and I think it was held uh, right through uh, Tony Abbott's prime ministership. So it's a seat that Labor's acquired in recent times, uh, but it's out of suburban. It's heading towards the Mornington Peninsula. It's a mix of uh, rich and poor um, communities. Um, it's one of those typical outer suburban seats. And I, I tend to think there'll be a pretty strong swing against the government, whether they lose it or not. We'll have to wait and see, but I think there'll be a swing against the government and that'll give Dutton a fair bit of encouragement. Yeah. Next Governor-General, there's, there's discussion out there about the next Governor-General having to be Indigenous. What? Who gives a stuff whether the Governor-General is Indigenous, Black, White, Brindle? Uh, who cares? Well, there's nothing in the Constitution, thankfully, about skin colour, uh, about um, the skin colour or ethnic background of the Governor-General. But, you know, think, wouldn't you think the government would look at the voice result and say, overwhelmingly, the referendum showed that Australians don't want to focus on skin colour. They don't want to focus mm. on Aboriginality. They want to focus on merit, on the best person for the job, on uh, people doing the right thing when they receive welfare payments, uh, not treating people with special, um, special kid gloves and, and benefits because of their skin colour. So I think most Australians would be appalled that um, the Governor-General necessarily needs to be Indigenous. That is, we're going to take the head of, head of um, state from just 2% of the population, ruling out 98% of people who could yeah. have had much better qualifications. I, I, that, that would repeat massively the mistakes of the voice, wouldn't it? That you rule out 98% and say only 2% of people are eligible. But I don't know whether Anthony Albanese gets it, Mark. I, I don't think he's smart enough to realise that. I, I, am, I am convinced that he or whoever's involved will come up with some kind of virtue signalling candidate. Yeah, probably. They would love the symbolism of it. They would love the yep. symbolism of the government that appointed the first ever Indigenous Governor-General. But it doesn't necessarily And Penny Wong will be in the background hoping that a local Palestinian could get there. <laughs> well... You know, who knows what they'll do, but, but they would love the symbolism of Indigenous. And they talk about Linda Burney, who was the architect of the failed voice. Would you reward Linda Burney 
with the failure of the voice referendum <laughs> by <laughs> making her the Governor General. That in itself would be ridiculous. Dear, oh dear. Dear, oh dear. I don't get it. I want to get closer to home and talk about uh, the Treasurer of New South Wales, Mr Mookie. Um, is Sydney the next San Francisco? Well, no, I think this is hyperbole. It's a massive exaggeration. San Francisco, uh, for those who visited over the years, was once a very beautiful city, a, a great place to visit. But it's gone downhill because of left-wing policies on drug liberalisation, soft law and order, uh, allowing the homeless basically to take over the, the streets of inner San yep. Francisco. So the place has gone to seed. I don't think Sydney is headed in that direction. Yes, there are uh, acute housing affordability problems, but, but, but generally people who have got a job or a small business or career opportunities who can't get a start in the Sydney ownership market, uh, they rent or they live a little bit outside Sydney. So there are alternatives here. Housing unaffordability doesn't mean that the city turns into a, a shithole, basically, which is what's happened to San Francisco. So I think, I think Mookie's looking for a headline there rather than reality. And, um, and probably the best thing he can do is um, get some more housing approvals moving because they've gone south. You know, the government talks about housing supply in New South Wales, but we're not actually seeing it come through the system. He's obviously never been to San Francisco where blocks and parks are full of thousands of homeless people, many of them who have uh, drug addictions, uh, you know, doing doing deals, etc. in the yep. middle of the night, thousands of them. Where in Sydney does that occur? There's a little bit of it in Martin Place, but you w you'd, you'd, be, you'd be lucky to count more than 25 people. Yeah, and, and, and a problem with housing affordability doesn't necessarily mean that you've got uh, tens of thousands of homeless people because uh, you've got renting options, of course. So, no, there's no comparison to be made here. And as you point out, the, um, um, the, the drug policies, easing off on the drug policies and the tolerance of, of drug addiction in, Sa in San Francisco has gone hand in hand with homelessness. Homelessness is not necessarily a function of the housing market. Homelessness is very often mental illness, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, relationship breakdown, a whole range of personal problems that have got people on the skids. So it's just wrong to make this comparison. He's got his headline, but I think more importantly, the men's government needs to start coming up with solutions that are actually happening in practice. Yeah, very, very true. I want to take a quick break, if I can, Mark, and come back with you. And in particular, talk about a major rally, which is scheduled for tomorrow, tomorrow morning in Canberra, on renewables. And uh, a lot of farmers will be present at that particular rally. We'll talk about that right after a break on TNT. Now, as we move into an election year in US politics at a time when the Western Empire is under attack from within, as if an orchestrated decline is the plan, whilst at the same time, the rise of BRICS nations represents a rise of a new multipolar order. Institutions that have controlled the world are at last being questioned for their behaviour and their failures. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And the truth shall set us free. Those two statements sit at opposite ends of the zeitgeist in a world that is filled with death, destruction, deceit and a wholesale unwillingness to hold anyone in power to account except for anyone who takes power against the ruling elite, of course. And then we have seen how that system works. Weekends with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk TNT. A better business tip from TNT Radio. 
News Talk Radio listeners are some of the most active and involved listeners of any format. TNT Radio listeners rely on TNT Radio often as their primary source of information. They trust TNT Radio and are highly engaged with the content. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. TNTradio.live. Online. Online. Online streaming. Be a part of the conversation. I stream it all at work and I stream it to my phone and listen to it wherever I go. TNT. I've got Mark Latham with me right now. I do want to go back to that homeless discussion that we had, Mark, because Siv, one of our regular listeners and viewers, is on the talkback line. Go ahead, Siv. Yeah, g'day, Chris. G'day, Mark. Look, um, my. Uh uh, thing is about we've we've got in New South Wales um, yet another summit. We've got a housing summit going on now that apparently the treasurer has attended today and all the rest of it. And I'm just wondering, you know, with all these committees and summits and all the rest of it, um, what what's happening to actually building a home? I mean, that's talking your head off. It's not going to build anything, is it? Well, that's right, Siv. You've um, you've nailed that one. They do have a lot of meetings. It's not actually a summit. I think he's speaking at one of these Future of Sydney type committees that oh, well, uh, are established mainly inner city business people and um, and political types. So it's not a formal uh, meeting that the government has convened, but it's yet another talk fest, if you talk like, fest. where a minister is shooting off his mouth without. Uh, a tangible result. You know, the most immediate, obvious thing you could do for housing affordability, other than increasing supply, is get rid of the green tape costs. Because in New South Wales, in Sydney in particular, it costs up to $100,000 in environmental levies and extra regulation and costs to build a new home, and about $40,000 for a new apartment. So you want to make housing, uh, standalone housing, $100,000 more affordable in Sydney, just get rid of all the green tape, all the environmental regulations. It started yes. under Bob, Bob Carr, where they think they can save the planet by telling people what sort of house you can build. That is so true, and, and it's that simple, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I believe it started it is. under Bob I, Carr I and Bassics. Uh, I know when I, I, I built my home, I was rather shocked that your home's no longer your castle. The government decides... Um, what sort of lighting you have and how many solar panels you have, which way the house faces and if you have insulation or not. Yeah, the government has um, a big say in the design of the house and it's got a lot worse with environmental levies and conservation programs and tree preservation costs and the like that they impose upon the average uh, home buyer. So that's an obvious way of uh, solving the problem. Well, I mean, I, I, I just find it extraordinary that we've got all these committees and meetings and summits and God knows what else. And we've had them since we've got the MIDS government and we still haven't built anything. We still haven't done anything in, in terms of that. I just find that utterly extraordinary. And yet here we are, we're, we're talking our bloody heads off again. And you know what? If we continue doing it this way, we're going to continue talking our heads off and get no result and Mr. and Mrs. Average Citizen, who actually wants to get into the property market, is going to lose out, and they usually do with politicians. Yeah, yeah, very, very true. Well, there is very, too very much true. talk and not enough action, that's true. But in fairness to the government, there is a long lag in their stated policy of uh, increasing housing supply, because you've got to rezone the land, and, and you've got to get housing approvals through local government, which is difficult, as they're finding out on Sydney's North Shore. And then, of course, people have got to have the finance 
to actually build the house. So it's and a, it's a long lag policy, well. and this side of the next New South Wales election, means won't really have a result. That's why I would strongly people... recommend the immediate benefit of getting rid of the green tape costs and, and, and giving people $100,000 for a house, $40,000 for an apartment, um, a, uh, a price cut, so they can uh, get into the housing market. Here, here. And As I always say about stamp... object. You've got people who vociferously object to everything as well, and you go, I don't know how you deal with some of that nimbyism stuff as well. That that's certainly going to be in the stuff. It's good to chronic talk to you, Chris. in Sydney. It's chronic. Good on you, Siv. Thank you very much. It is chronic in Sydney. As I say about stamp duty, Mark, we don't even get a bloody stamp. Um, now, um, <laughs> the ABC documentary series Nemesis. I didn't catch the one last week, apart from a highlights package of it. So I, I kind of got the gist of uh, where everyone's up to. They're bagging each other profusely in the Liberal Party. Tell us a little bit about what we can expect tonight. Do you know much about it? And uh, it doesn't augur well for the Libs, does it? No, I think those who participated have walked into an ABC trap where, you know, it's a heavy hit job on the Liberal yep. Party. And I think tonight's one, uh, for the Turnbull years, uh, probably the main feature is the bonking ban that yep. uh, embittered Barton v Joyce. So he'll, he'll feature heavily. But the um, first one that was on last Monday about the Abbott years, what it really flushed out is something that's been around in political circles, but just how duplicitous Scott Morrison was through the process. Morrison made a big mistake participating in this ABC series because he's on camera and on tape in this show constantly saying he knew nothing. He said he knew nothing of the plotting and the numbers game that was going on stabbing Tony Abbott in the back. But the show from um, Turnbull and Craig Laundie, Turnbull's numbers man, um, confirmed that Morrison was involved up to his eyeballs yeah. and he just looked like a professional liar. He looked dreadful yeah. on this show, Chris. Yeah. And he yeah. made the same mistake that Kevin Rudd made. You know, Rudd undermined Julia Gillard but tried to deny it publicly. And Morrison, with these lies in this show, has just confirmed to people how... Um, involved he was on the t with the Turnbull forces against Abbott and I suppose maybe in the back of his mind thinking oh well Turnbull becomes Prime Minister I'll be next in line and that's what actually happened. Mm. Massively ignorant to turn up on the show though I thought that when I saw that highlights package last week I thought you know what's about to they're not doing it as a you know publicity ad for the Liberal Party they're actually it's not a promo it's actually a gotcha they're going to get you on a whole heap of statements you've made previously and prove that you're wrong the fact that he didn't think that that would be the case just shows how ignorant he is yeah well the uh, program next Monday will actually be on the Morrison years so maybe he was there trying to defend his own record but yeah. they really pinned him down on his role in the stabbing of Tony Abbott and it looked just completely dreadful. You know, you've never seen someone look more uncomfortable in lying through their teeth. And Peter Credlin has written this up um, in The Australian and elsewhere that uh, they always had their suspicions that Morrison, Hawke and their numbers were for Turnbull. And this show has just confirmed it uh, without doubt. And, and it, it gave you an insight into the extent of the plotting against Tony Abbott, who'd been democratically elected as the new Prime Minister in 2013. And you would have thought, oh, well, he'll take him to the election three years later. But every Sunday night before the Parliament met, Turnbull and his uh, henchmen were meeting at Turnbull's apartment in Canberra. We knew of one meeting, the one immediately before the, um, the coup against Abbott, the, uh, the party right. room meeting that got rid of Abbott. But they were meeting for many, many months in advance every Sunday night before the Parliament sat. So it was institutionalised 
uh, destabilisation and treachery against Tony Abbott. And all of those uh, involved, um, well, they look like bastards. That's, what, that's the only conclusion you can reach. <laughs> they do. They do. Massively premeditated. Massively premeditated. Um, now, there's a renewable rally on in Canberra tomorrow. I don't know how many people will turn up because it's in the middle of the week and uh, those that are inf- affected by, you know, the layout of renewable uh, farms and solar panels and wind turbines, the farmers themselves have got to actually get down and work. Some will turn up, no doubt. They are as mad as hell, aren't they? Well, they are, but I've also got to say, Chris, it's taken a while for the penny to drop, you know. There's now building unrest and hostility about renewables uh, on several fronts. Uh, offshore wind turbines, uh, coastal communities are worried about the damage to marine environment and amenity and also property values. Farmers and uh, rural landholders are now seeing the uh, impact of the solar and wind farms, which use a lot of land and, and worst of all, the big transmission wires that go through destroying agricultural uh, land and landscapes. So there's... Um, and, and, of course, consumers uh, have got higher power bills because of the renewables. So on a lot of fronts now, there's a growing hostility about the renewables. But I've got to say, all of this was obvious 10 years ago, when government said we're going to go 100% renewables, that, um, um, you know, all of these things have got to be built. And it's only in recent times that um, the communities are starting to get more active. So hopefully it's a big rally. Hopefully it makes an important statement. And I see in their charter of claims they're also wanting to lift the ban on nuclear energy, which, of course, is a much better alternative than the renewables. Yeah, very true. One last one. Let's uh, dabble in our love for rugby league in Australia. And I noticed that uh, News Corp has done an interview with the uh, the chair of the AFL, sorry, the NRL Commission, the ARL Commission, Peter Volandes, and he is now mentioning that the North's Bears, the old North Sydney Bears, have to come back in some kind of merged entity in the near future. Um, I, I, they lost 200,000 followers of Rugby League when they got rid of the Bears, didn't they? Yeah, the poor old Bears. They were everyone's favourite uh, second team. Um, yeah, barracked for your own team, but you wanted the Bears to do OK. Who hadn't won a premiership since, I think, 1922, so they were the yes. ultimate underdogs, the poor old Bears, and unlucky at different times in the 80s and 90s. But it was interesting, Peter Volandi says, as he moves around the rugby league community, the one message he overwhelmingly receives in every part of the country is bring back the Bears. Yes. And he's been shocked that they've got uh, so many followers out there. Um, I love the idea of bringing back the Bears, and they, they need an 18th team because we've got 17 at the moment and a, and a bye every round, which isn't satisfactory. So I love the idea of the Bears coming back, but it, it won't be based in North Sydney. It would be on the Central Coast or some other location where they, um, they take up the franchise. So I hope that's right. And I think the Bears are a much better option, say, than uh, Papua New Guinean team. Uh, the Papua New Guinean idea, we're going to be forking out to prop that team up for the next 50 years, aren't we? Yeah, and they'll play in Cairns. They won't even play um, in Port Moresby, um, probably no. for security and logistical and cost reasons. So it's ridiculous. It would be very, very expensive to have a P&G team. I, I don't think it's sustainable and... I think, well, if Melandis is right, you know, he, the feedback he gets from your average rugby league stalwart is uh, not about PNG. It's bring back the Bears. So let's do that. Yeah, good on you. Mark, thank you very much. All the best for the rest of the week, and we'll catch up next week. Okay, thanks, Chris. Cheers. Thank you, mate. Appreciate it. Mark Latham, MLC, independent MP in the New South Wales Parliament. Always good to have a chat with him. We will get to Renee Heath, who's a 
Liberal Party uh, upper house MP in the Victorian Parliament. A lot to talk about in terms of Victorian politics today and some very interesting developments on the front page about uh, a particular Indigenous advisor. We'll get to that story with Renee and a whole heap more, including your calls. Jump on our talkback lines if you want. You can do so from the United States or Canada on 1-888-201-6425. From the UK, 033-0024-1026. And from Australia or New Zealand, 1-800-670-310. This is Chris Smith on TNT. Well, what's the news? TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with your TNT headlines. New polling out of the US signals a presidency in peril, as incumbent Joe Biden records one of the highest disapproval ratings in American history. Following months of negotiations on a deal to combat illegal immigration, it appears Democratic and Republican senators have finally reached an agreement. And Pakistan's former Prime Minister Imran Khan has been hit with another lengthy jail term, the third such sentence in five days. Globalist agendas, democratic rights at risk, corruption, propaganda. It never stops. For the news and views silenced by the mainstream media, by government and corporations, vote one. TNT Radio. Free speech always has a home here. Stay up to date with the latest live news and current affairs delivered by our lineup of expert commentators and hosts. Listen to TNT Radio anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk. This is TNT Radio. I want to get to Victoria quick, smart, go straight there. And it, we, we usually catch up on Monday with the Upper House Liberal Party MP representing Eastern Victoria. And that's exactly what we're doing today because Parliament is back in uh, Victoria, as is the case in various parts of Australia. But federally, they're back in Parliament too. Renee Heath, MLC, welcome to the program. Thank you, Chris. How are you going? I'm doing very well. We don't have the Christmas decorations in the background this time. We don't have, uh, it's not in the front of the car. You're not travelling for once. You're actually officially back in the office in Parliament House or in Spring Street, right? Correct. So, so welcome. Here we are. <laughs> is, it, is, it, is it good to be back uh, considering the fact we've had a, you know, a long break uh, politically uh, things will get um, worked up pretty quickly, no doubt, in the parliament. No Daniel Andrews. Um, yes, you didn't have Daniel Andrews for some part of the latter part of the year, but it's almost like a new era in some ways, isn't it? I hope so. I, I hope it's a fresh start. To be honest, Victoria is in a mess. So I think I just hope that coming in, we have a fresh start and we can begin to get things sorted out. It's been a horrible summer. Not, not. Uh, we'll get there in a second, back into the new uh, sitting uh, session, but it's been a horrible summer across Australia for drownings. And um, we were talking before you came on air today about the fact that Eastern Victoria has had its own fair share, terrible share of drownings as well. What what's what's occurred? Yeah, look, it's been devastating actually. And thirty percent of Victoria's drownings this summer have occurred in the Bass Coast region. Victoria-wide, there's been 22 fatal drownings. That's since December 1. And in 2017, the Basque Coast was actually identified as a black spot for drownings. And Life Saving Victoria handed down a federal government funding um, funded risk assessment in the Basque Coast Shire, outlining the evidence-based recommendations um, to address drownings yet the recommendations haven't been fully implemented. So oh. we're, 
this this year, I mean, this week, I'm going to be asking for that report to be completely released. I know some of the recommendations, and they're things like adopting a shire-wide uniform signage strategy, um, increasing signage along the store, the mm. the shores, and things like that. You know, sometimes people just don't; they're not aware yeah. of of what what different beaches are like. And sometimes you can reduce your risk by just you know going a kilometer kilometer away to a different and safer beach and another recommendation is committing to a continuous systematic monitoring and review process of the shire's anti-drowning measures so locals have been um, calling for this all summer and this week I'm going to make sure that that's one of the first questions that I do ask that that is released it's not only Bass Coast where this is happening there was a near miss in South Gippsland on the 4th of Jan it was actually my friend who was running along the beach um, where, just near where she lives at Honeysuckles, which is on the 90-mile beach, when she saw a few people standing looking out towards the beach. And as she was running, she thought something just isn't right here. As she got closer, she noticed that there were three women that were just about 150 metres offshore that had been caught in a rip. And oh. they weren't local women and they had accessed the beach from just a regular staircase there coming down onto the beach with no signage. And as she got closer, um, she said to some of the panicked onlookers, she said, what's what's happening here? And they were so worried and they said, they're drowning and there's nothing we can do. Oh. So the first thing Danielle did is she hopped on the phone, she called the police and she called Sea Spray Lifesavers and they said, look, we just won't get there in time. So thankfully, 20 years ago, she had been a surf lifesaver at Sea Spray Beach and, oh. and she looked around and in the absence of life-saving equipment, there was a little girl there that had, you know, one of those little sort of kickboards that like yeah. I used to use them when I was a big swimmer. I remember yeah. these kickboards? She happened to have one of those. So Danielle, by the way, who has just had a baby, went out and she was able to bring two of these women back in. Oh. Um, sadly, she she it's one of the most traumatic things she's ever done, she said, but one of them she couldn't bring all three in. As she went out to get the third um, lady, uh, the surf life-saving um, jet ski came and picked that lady up and thankfully, thankfully they were they were all rescued. But oh, great. came in. Yeah, it's really like she honestly, she's one of the most gutsy people I've met and I'm so proud of her, but it was traumatic for all involved. The yeah. police came and checked in on Danielle the next day and she and they said to her, look, if you hadn't have gone out, we would have been looking for three bodies today. So yeah. thank God for that. It was a miracle. It really was because if Danielle hadn't have gone for a run at that particular moment, if that little girl hadn't have had a kickboard and if Danielle hadn't have had those skills, things would be very different for those families today. Yeah, so very very that. true. You know, it's interesting. I've got a surf lifesaving, a very close mate of mine who's a surf lifesaver at Bondi, and he yeah. tells me that because we take in so many migrants in this country, in Australia, and we're very multicultural and that's all well and good, We're he's finding that most of the rescues are of people who have only been in this country for a very short time. So they don't go through what you and I would have gone through as kids, which is a massive exposure to swimming lessons and, and swimming pools and, 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 and swimming events. They are not exposed to all of that in the country that they come from. So they come to Australia and they get caught. 
Well, that is a huge amount of people that, you know, do get caught in those situations. These three ladies, I think, were from Ringwood. They just got caught in a rip and it was one of those things that was hard to detect. Yeah. Um, and they were very lucky that Danielle happened to be there. But what I'm going to ask for in, in particular with those in, in that beach is that we do put up signage that just explains how volatile things can be, that yeah. we continue to advise tourists to swim between the flags. Like it is so important, swim yeah. between the flags. And the third thing that I think we should be looking at is putting life-saving devices on the steps, you know, in these in these smaller beaches. So there is something there. And, you know, hopefully vandals don't come and take those things. But the fact is, if there wasn't that kickboard there, it would be a very different situation. Just that one device can really make a difference. So they're the things that I'm going to be asking for. Now, I want to get to front page news. A staunch advocate for Aboriginal land and water rights says Australia's cultural heritage laws have been hijacked by individuals who use standover tactics to funnel money into some Aboriginal corporations. Now, Darren Perry helped the state government draft cultural heritage laws in the early 2000s, but says in the decades since, they have increasingly become exploited by gangster-like figures who were tarnishing their predecessors' work for financial gain. He says they extort developers, farmers and the government. It's very rare that those inside the tent call some of those inside the tent out, but thank goodness this has happened. Something's got to be done about it. Yes, and thank God he has called them out. I saw this in the Herald Sun today. So Darren Perry is an Indigenous man who was trusted in, in drafting this legislation. He's a trusted, well-respected man. And he described these corporations as cartels and acting with gangster-like behaviour. So this is a representation, I believe, of the political environment or atmosphere that activists have created. And when genuine issues like this become politicised, it opens up um, for opportuni opportunistic exploitation. And this is what we're seeing here. And it's interesting what he, he um, mentioned, farmers, and he, he mentioned developers. Well, in the case of land corporations, farmers are suffering. And every single one of us relies on farmers and life is getting increasingly harder Yep. for farmers. And I have uh, many, many in my area who I talk to all the time and they're coming up against more and more red and green tape. And it's yep. really got to stop because it's becoming so hard for them. And the second one that he mentioned were developers and developers are being held up because of this. And as you know, we're in the middle of a housing crisis. So these issues are something that affect us all. So whether it's the NDIS, the public service, or in this instance, Aboriginal corporation, if corporations, if politicians and activists continue politicising genuine issues, all Australians will suffer from the unintended consequences. Yeah, and this is something that we've really got to get a um, we've got to get a hold on. The Liberals yeah. are rightly demanding a review into these laws, and I'm just so. I'm so thankful that we're standing up and we're doing that. But, you know, there were you've spoken about stalker um, reviews. You've spoken about reviews on 
um, drownings. You've spoken about all sorts of reviews in conversations you and I have had here that take place in Victoria, but nothing's ever done when the review recommendations are handed down, Renee. It's it's a state of no of of what's the word? It's in neutral. It completely is, and and particularly the one you you spoke about. Then there's been forty five recommendations. Um, after the re- review into stalking and absolutely nothing has been done. And this is one of the things that I find most frustrating about this government. They don't have to do anything. They no, just they just call a review to make themselves look good. Exactly. But what the genu- the next step that is actually going to make the difference in the lives of Victorians is when we actually do something and we reform laws. And that's something we've got to do. We've got to do it with drownings life depends on it we've got to do it in the area of stalking life depends on it and something has to be done in this area yeah exactly i want to talk about um what's being described as sextortion and also talking about drug rules that look to be changing in victoria we'll do that after a break this is chris smith on tnt Give me a minute with tnt radio's steve malsberg last week when corinne jean pierre was asked about the position of Joe Biden when it comes to late-term abortions, she had the phony rhetoric ready to go. What I will say is majority of Americans, majority of Americans wants to see their rights protected, wants to see women have their rights protected, wants to be able to, wants, want women to be able to make those deeply, deeply personal decisions on their bodies, on their own, not politicians. That's what majority of Americans want to see. And so the president's going to stand with majority of Americans on this issue. Do those unborn babies have any rights then? I'm not going to get into that specific. I'm not going to get into that question. Rights for unborn babies? What are you, mad? (laughs) But let's take a look at how Americans really feel about the issue of abortion. This is from Gallup, May of last year. Only 34% of Americans believe abortion should be legal under all circumstances. 34%. A majority, 64%, say limited circumstances or not at all. And in the same poll, only 22% of Americans believe third trimester abortion should be legal at all. It just shows that Karine Jean-Pierre and her leftist buddies are a bunch of liars. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT. Right, I've got cancer. I've been trying to tell the rest of you, but no one's listening. And I don't just mean you, ears, eyes. Would you look in the damn toilet for once? Hands, roll those sleeves and take a sample. And legs, trot off to the doctor to get me looked at. Because bowel cancer can be successfully treated when detected early. Now look who's finally woken up. Baby's back from the West Coast. <laughs> Hear those pictures that you asked for for your school project? First day of school, cute as a button. <laughs> so long ago. Oh, here's Grandma Florence after that flood wiped out the whole neighborhood. Sometimes I just cannot believe all the storms we've gone through here. I can only hope that we'll be able to leave this house to you one day, baby. You're our legacy. Planning for these disasters will make sure we're safe. And it's the best way to protect that legacy. <sighs> Those bees smell heavenly. Mm-hmm. Give mom a little credit. You know what? We should make an emergency communication plan. That way we're ready this year. Oh, great idea. At my dorm, we have emergency kits for earthquakes and wildfires, but I'm sure there's something more local I can send you with the link. Okay. Smart. 
I'm coming to share with you guys. Protect your legacy. Plan for natural disasters today. Visit ready.gov forward slash plan. Thanks for listening and being a part of the Chris Smith Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Yeah, welcome back. I've got Renee Heath, MLC in Victoria for the Liberal Party on the line right now. Well, this is just out of control in the United States. And I know Fox has been running a series of stories about suicides that have taken place amongst the teenage population there after sextortions have taken place. So criminals are posing as attractive young women. They get into a long-term rapport online. They fool Victorian teenagers, in your case, into sending sexually explicit photos. The organised crime gangs then threaten to send the images to their family, friends and work colleagues for money because they want a ransom. Um, 300 reports have come to police per month. This drives kids absolutely insane, especially if they bottle up the truth of what's occurred. And this is going to endanger the lives of teenagers. Yeah, and I think the internet is proving to be a very unsafe space for young people. One in five young people in Victoria have had somebody threaten to hurt them. 13% have been catfished. One in three have had somebody post hurtful, hateful or, you know, um, offensive comments about them. And six in ten have experienced online bullying. So this is a massive issue. It's not something that's happening to a select few. And I think that it's time that the people involved in this type of behaviour are held to account. Mm. And this isn't about free speech. Some people have said to me, oh, what about free speech? When you have a society that supports free speech, you also have to live with the consequences of it. And this isn't a free speech issue. This is about keeping our children safe. And you mentioned the US. We saw in the US over the US, over the weekend a Senate inquiry where Mark Zuckerberg was forced to apologise to families whose kids had faced harm on social media. That's right. So, I was about to mention that. I'm glad you did. Yes, I'm glad that somebody finally is being held responsible for this. But these social media companies are not only allowing sexual predators and often, and we spoke about this a few weeks ago, drug dealers, to use their platform, but their algorithm is actually helping promote these activities. So this is a major issue, and I think it's time that um, law begins to catch up with the cultural change that we've seen in the past 10 years or so. I feel for parents because they've got a tough job. They're probably the first generation that are having to deal with the negative impacts that social media is having on their kids. And I think that um, one area that we've really got to work on is parents and guardians need to really be trained in how to support and how to monitor these things happening with their kids. And something that stuck out to me in your book, actually, there was a man that wrote a forward to it and he was speaking about stalking, but he said that the community, our family and our friends and the people around us are our first line of defence. And that's really stuck with me. I think Parents, guardians, friends, all of these people have to be the first line of defence for kids. And then we have to make sure that when that fails or when that isn't working, the law is a strong second line of defence. Good that you're seeing, you're reading the right stuff. That's very important. Fantastic book, scary, fantastic. (laughs) Good on you. One last one the Greens and the legalised cannabis and animal justice parties. Oh, my goodness, the three of them together. What a raunchy little event that would be. Um, 
they're launching a debate in the Victorian Parliament in coming weeks, I'm sure you're looking forward to this, on their joint bill for a trial of a fixed drug testing facility and a mobile facility that would rove between music festivals. So I guess what they're trying to set up is let's test your stash so that you can get in there, get drugged up as much as you can and be safe. Is that what it's all about? Well, that is apparently what it's all about, but I think they're kind of missing the point. And we've spoken about this many times. I've My dad's a pastor. I've seen many people come out of drug abuse. Drug testing is an interesting one because getting poor quality drugs isn't the only, the only risk. Taking drugs is the risk. Mm. So I think that, you know, the impacts that this has on an individual is never good. And I've seen many people break the cycle of illicit drugs and I've had discussions with many of them. And often they talk about the first time they ever used and they wish they never did. It's like a hook that gets you in that's extremely hard, extremely hard to break free of. Um, and I think that some people are lucky enough to be able to use drugs from time to time and then go back to their normal life with no effect. But that isn't the majority from what the people that I've spoken to, the the lives that I've seen that have been damaged by drug use, this isn't the majority. So I am in support of efforts to prevent death. I I am. I am well, in drug testing of- facilities at festivals. No, I I'm I'm all for supporting efforts that prevent death and minimize harm when it comes to drugs. And of course, I'm moved by seeing grieving families, but I don't think drug testing is the answer because it's missing the point. However safely you take a drug, drugs aren't safe. And this is something that I've expressed my concern over. Whenever the government gets involved in projects like this, we see outcomes getting worse. We saw that with the safe injecting rooms, they weren't safe. We saw um dispose like wrongly disposed of needles just yep. grow exponentially and they become honeypots for other crimes we've seen that time and time again in sydney too they do and i think that no matter how safe you are when you're taking drugs women still become more vulnerable to sexual assault and sexual abuse decision making is impaired people begin to get involved in other crimes so I think we're missing the key point when we're talking about concern. I, When we're talking about drugs in this concern, I think you will not find a bigger advocate for people being safe, for breaking the cycles in people's lives. Um, but I do not think that drugs are healthy for our community. And I do not think that we are doing good by making drugs more accessible. And that's yeah. my that's my take on the situation. Yeah, look, uh, having had my stint in rehab um, two years ago, I remember speaking to a lot of addicts and they always said it wasn't the drug that was the danger. They always said it was their habit that they couldn't yeah, get wow. out of. And mm. if you are if you are testing drugs for their potency and you're giving the green light for drug taking because they're mere um, minor drugs, you're still catering for and accommodating the addiction and the habit, which then allows that drug taker to be exposed to other more serious drugs at other locations and in different circumstances. And I was convinced from what I heard and listened to and spoke about that I thought to myself, that's the problem, getting rid of the habit, and the habit is the drug taking in the first place. 
It is. And and I read that book after Matthew Perry passed away and you played a little clip on your show here and it made me want to go and read the rest of his book. Mm-hmm. He spoke about the first time he stra- struggled with addiction his whole life up until he died. And he spoke about the first time he ever had alcohol. And that's just alcohol. But for him, it was the first time he said he ever felt normal. Yep. So he became addicted to it and it ruined his life. We have to make sure we are doing the best for people that are vulnerable. I don't think pill testing will help anyone one bit. Yeah. Well, Canberra's gone down this track and I'm very, very keen to find out after the summer is over uh, how all of their trials have gone in terms of pill testing. But um, we'll leave that for another day and maybe you and I can talk about it as well. Great to have you on the program. I'll let you get back to real work and uh, your first week, uh, of course, in the parliament and getting stuck into the issues that matter. Make sure you get that government to do something about all their stupid fake reviews that they held and actually, you know, make changes instead of sitting in neutral. Well, there's some good ideas in the reviews, so maybe that's the problem. They seem to have an an allergy to good ideas, so we'll see. I'll try my best. Leave it with me. Great (laughs) to have you you on the program, Renee. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. All right, Renee Heath, MLC, representing the Liberal Party. Back at work like all the politicians in Victoria and all of that sort of stuff will be debated, but seriously... The Labor government is classic at this. Set up a review showing that you've got clean hands and you're doing the right thing, but they don't care what happens or what comes out of the review. The recommendations don't mean anything. It's all just fake. Who cares what the review says? So nothing's ever done. The whole state is in neutral. That's a Labor government running Victoria for you. Uh, Very quickly, I thought this was repulsive when I read it over the weekend. Motorists in New South Wales will soon be monitored by more than 70 drones with the New South Wales government to deploy a fleet of unmanned aircraft over Sydney's clogged road network. Now, remember in New South Wales, we used to have planes um, and we used to call it quite offensively pigs in space. And they used to monitor your speed because the motorways had lines on them so they could time you crossing a particular line on a motorway until you cross the next to work out how fast you were going. That was offensive enough. Leave us alone. Stop running around in the sky trying to work out who you can nab and what money you can make. It's offensive. The eyes in the sky will not only feed real-time images of road crashes and choke points. Oh, So now they're saying it's for traffic um, ease, easing traffic congestion. But it's going to be trialled over the school holidays um, and drones will spend almost 100 hours in the air uh, monitoring traffic and isolated uh, locations, but also uh, go about detecting who's doing the wrong thing on the roadway. You can see where this is going. Uh, You know, you can have any number of fixed cameras to work out where the traffic is bad at intersections, on motorways, major arterial roads. That can do the job there. And we've got plenty of cameras that spy on you already. But now they're going to put drones in the air. And so they're going to have these, you know, young kids sitting in police headquarters somewhere or traffic headquarters going down. Oh, let's let's follow that car. That car looks like as if he could make a he, he could speed or do something wrong. So let's just hound him for the next half hour as he makes his trip. Like, it's just disgusting. I think it's offensive. Drones, 70 drones in the air. Pigs in space return, but this time there's not one plane. There's 70 of them. I think it's off.
and uh, I'll do my bit to protest against it. I'll leave you in the capable hands of Dean Mackin now because I am out of here. I've got that off my chest. Thank you for allowing me to do that. We'll come back and do it again at the same time tomorrow. This is Chris Smith.